Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks and San Jose Sharks upcoming tonight. We'll have the pregame for you. And the next three hours are nonstop Philip Hironic hype. Finally, something new to talk about. We're all <laughs> excited to talk about the new shiny toy. <laughs> we get to uh, discuss what Philip Hironic will bring, bring to the Canucks lineup as he is expected to be in the lineup tonight. Per Rick Tockett, Canucks did not have a full morning skate today. Um, yeah. Elias Patterson decided to skate anyways because that's who he is. And <laughs> he felt like he didn't play well enough against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. He didn't want to hang it on his wingers the way uh, Tockett almost blamed him. Yeah. Um, and so uh, tonight we get the San Jose Sharks uh, in town. And we get to see the first steps of Philip Peronik as a Vancouver Canuck. Um, there's a lot to expect here. Obviously, that draft pick is... Looking like it's going to end up lower and lower and lower than what may have been originally thought. You mean higher? Oh uh, yes, lower. As in, like you're picking later. Yes, for the Canucks. I always get mixed, like I don't, mixed I don't know up to, with that. Same. You know? I don't know how like, to look at dra- it. it. The draft pick is lower, but the number is higher. Right. So pick higher in the draft, lower in the. Standard. But if you say pick higher in the draft, I'm thinking closer to one overall. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. But if I say lower, it's not factually true because the number will be i don't know yeah it's all confusing (laughs) it's all very confusing and it's thursday the number is higher than one but it's lower in the draft so it none of it really actually makes sense (laughs) nothing ever makes sense anymore uh the point stands uh that pick uh, from the new york islanders is looking like it is going to be lower than we may have expected when the trade was made when bo horvat was first shipped to the new york islanders now, that doesn't mean to say this is uh, a great trade and I'm completely flipping my opinion on the Canucks' decision to go out and acquire Philip Aronik, but we now at least get to see what it looks like or the first impressions of what it looks like. And I do imagine, Sat, a lot of Quinn Hughes and Philip Aronik tonight against a San Jose team, they might uh, they might do pretty well. Yeah, I mean... It- it's an, it will be a super soft landing spot for him if yeah. he plays alongside uh, Quinn Hughes. And I think they would fare fairly well, mm-hmm. right? The question is, how much ice time does Taka want to throw at him right away? Right. And Bear and Hughes have been all right, although you see some issues with Bear's game at time to time. Mm-hmm. He's been battling, though, for sure, especially considering the injury he's gone through and, and, and playing through it this year. I mean, he's playing through it right now. But I'd say... Hughes and Hironic mm-hmm. is probably the way to go for tonight's game. And I think it gives everybody a bit of a taste for what it might look like next season. Because that's that's the biggest thing you got to figure out. Is that something you actually want to do next season? And the big picture discussion, obviously, is can you even do this? Have those guys together. But at the very least, considering where the Canucks find themselves, you're right. Why wouldn't you put those guys together tonight and kind of see how they do, at least from time to time, against the Sharks team? So the the way I would look at uh, at least Ronick's early usage is play him as much uh, with Quinn Hughes as you feel necessary because 
Phil, uh, Phil DiGiuseppe, I was going to say. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get a Phil DiGiuseppe off I, your mind. I can't get BDG off my mind. But uh, Guillaume Brisebois and Christian Willand, and, you know, both signed as depth pieces. They may end up playing games in the NHL for this team next year. But, you know, we know what they are. Not expected to play major roles for this team next year still. And Willannon gets the two-year deal. We'll discuss that a little bit later on. But is there value in seeing Heronic with somebody you may not project him to play with a ton? Mm-hmm. Or let's just see what it looks like with Quinn Hughes for a few games, and then we get an idea of what we might have with that pairing. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at it from a, from a team success standpoint, okay, how much better are we if you have them on separate pairs? But I don't think that's really something you're trying to figure out necessarily right, right. now. Whereas, yeah, and I think if you are if you put Quinn Hughes and Hirona together for the rest of this season, that's the only thing you're really trying to figure out anyways and give yourself a bit of a head start for towards next season. And one thing we get so caught up in is, oh, these are the D pairs. This guy's exclusively playing with that guy. It's it's not like a marriage. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not you're not you know you're allowed to change partners on defense. <laughs> you know, you you don't have to file for divorce divorce before you find a new partner uh, on defense. You yes. know, so I think it's one of those things where it's uh, uh, one of those situations in life where uh, it might be okay to change partners. It might yes. be okay, but at the same time, like <laughs> you, you want to see you want to be in a situation where you can go to that numerous times next season. Yeah, at times, right? Like, hey, it's one thing. In the playoffs or whatever, but what would it look like if you are down a goal mm-hmm. and you need to have Heronic and Hughes together and they're out there with Pedersen or JT, for instance, right? Their, their respective lines. Then all of a sudden, you need to have those guys being on the same page to some degree. Now, you can always figure that out over training camp and, and the preseason, but I think getting Quinn and, say, Heronic what, 10, 10 of, mm-hmm. of these games together exclusively as a D-pair, at least for, for the rest of this year, won't that make it a lot easier for those guys to have some chemistry next season, especially when they're called upon to come back late in the game or injuries happen and you have to lean on it? Let's say you want to play one of the top teams in the league. Yep. You have to play Quinn Hughes 30 minutes a night in those games. Well, you put her on a Quinn Hughes together and say, all right, mm. this is our best chance to win our matchup. I don't, I don't see too much downside in it, right, in, in just getting more of a – sense of what it could look like with those two together and also how dominant could it be if you play them 10 games together yeah. down the stretch here you know do they have a ton of success as you might expect them to or you know does it not quite fit stylistically between the two and I do wonder about that because you know Heronic, uh, it's always going to be a different feel when you get to watch the player live and in person and we're going to be watching a ton of him now that he is a Vancouver Canuck. But initial thoughts on the player obviously has some good offensive instincts. And as he's gotten older, his defensive game has really grown. And his want to engage physically has grown a little bit too. So there's a lot there that I think could fit well next to Quinn Hughes from Philip Heronic. Yeah, I mean, you look at stylistically, you're absolutely absolutely right. And as good as Heronic is, there are a lot of elements of his game which aren't quite what you might think, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's a good puck mover. He moves the puck real. I mean, he's he's instantly the team's second best puck moving defenseman, yeah. right? But he's not high-end puck mover. Not to say he's bad. Like, again, like he's, he's very good at it. And that's not his ultimate. He's not going to be, you know, stretching and pinging passes around anywhere to the level that Quinn does. He doesn't skate anywhere near to the level that Quinn does. He's not a bad skater. He's a, he's a decent skater. Not the fastest, not the most burst. 
but he's actually very good defensively too. He has really grown in that aspect of his game. He he battles really well, and for his size, he's able to clear the net well. His stick positioning's really improved this season. You watch some of the games in Detroit, how he's able to angle guys and how he takes lanes away. Like he's really evolved as a defenseman. He's he's not as obviously as he he's not a Chris Tanev type. Mm-hmm. But he does complement Quinn Hughes' game quite well, too. And especially considering he has a cannon for a shot and a righty, those guys together on the ice, Quinn dancing around and, you know, beating a guy and taking guys on, it's going to leave somebody open. Yeah. And the guy that usually is open is a trailer, is somebody coming down and being mm-hmm. able to load up for a clapper. And he's going to be able to get a lot of those looks when he's on the ice with Quinn Hughes. So think offensively and defensively, yeah. their games actually do complement one another very well. And with the way that Quinn is playing just like next level hockey right now, um, it, I, I think it's going to be uh, pretty fun to see how it works even tonight. You know, and, and rotationally, like Quinn can walk the line yeah. and you might end up with you know, Quinn over on the right side on his offside. And that gets heronic, maybe loaded up for a one timer every now and again, like there's different things that you can do with those two, knowing the traits that they have and the traits that they have that can complement each other. And the Canucks haven't had a cannon for a right shot on the back end since like they Myers have... has it, but when do you see Myers get it? Yeah. Off? He doesn't get it off nearly enough. Yeah. Right. Like it, it was, it was honestly Weber. Yeah, you know, Mar- that's all. That's all, and, and not Shea Weber. I forgot what his first name Yannick. is. Like Yannick Weber. It was honestly Yannick Weber, and before that, somebody who was consistent. Mm-hmm. It was you know obviously Sammy Salo, Christian Ehrhoff had a cannon, but Salo obviously uh, had the real right side cannon. Salo but, had a bomb. Yeah, like he was exactly. up there with like Sheldon Surrey level bomb. Absolutely right, and we haven't seen somebody in, in Vancouver's back end to that degree. Yeah, and he's a top four defenseman that can that can bomb it and. We haven't got to the power play. That's where it's really interesting, and I'm curious about if you can incorporate him. But I, I think he's a really useful weapon on, on your the top side. unit. I don't think so. I don't think you can use yeah. him on the side. But I think on the second unit, the thing about him is, I wonder if you have that type of option on your second unit, which is a real threat. Like if you have a cannon as a right hand shot, it's a real threat. They don't have. I mean, they have Besser, but Besser's shot hasn't felt as dangerous as it has in years past. If you have Heronic, that would be you know the the guy that you want taking the big shot on yeah. the second unit. And do you do you carve out some more time for the for the second unit? And it gives a completely different look. As much as yeah. Pedersen has a cannon too, you're not loading it up as a right shot as much, right? It's a bit different. You want to get a bit closer. You heard Talkett speak about that yesterday and, and even today about Pedersen on the power play. And when he scored his goal, he's he's going towards that net a bit more too, going downhill a bit more when he shoots. And those are the types of things you want to see more from him. But stylistically, and we're veering off course for a bit, but I just think it's interesting thinking about this for a moment. But like, if you're on, on your first unit, they're completely different in terms of what they're looking to yeah. set up and how they move the puck around. If you have a more straightforward second unit that ha- that can bomb it, it gives the PKers two different looks to look at, and it can give your team a bit of an option for when things aren't going as well as you want. Now you have a second unit out there that has a legitimate threat. Like the best shot anybody has. I mean, Pedersen has the best shot, but the second best shot right now as a one-timer is Philip Hronik on this roster. More than JT? I'd say so. Hmm. And JT is great too, but because he's a righty. Yeah. And that's what I, I mean, you don't have a right-hand shot. That's why I'd say Pedersen's a better left-hand shot, obviously, than uh, JT on the one-timer. But given the right-hand option, the value that it brings, I think it becomes your second most valuable shot as a one-timer. Obviously, JT's a better shooter, no doubt. Yeah. But just getting that one-timer off, especially for what you're setting up on the power play, Hmm. I mean, it's it's an absolute bomb. You you don't score in six consecutive games if you don't have 
a really great shot. And from the point, you know, the Canucks, while they've gotten more production from their D-men this year, there hasn't been a lot of goals that have come from the back end on this team. And Hironik is probably a guy that you can predict to lead the defenseman in goals moving forward for this Canucks roster. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to like about his game and what it means to have him and Hughes together. Um, Is there reasons that you think it might not work with Hughes and Hironik together? The only thing, the only reason I think it wouldn't work for Hughes and Hironik together is you just can't find another D pair on your second unit, right? That can handle it enough because I don't, I don't think stylistically there's any reason why it wouldn't work. Quinn's Quinn's work with anybody pretty much. Yeah, so, great think, players can play with great players. Exactly, I think Quinn's the type of guy that he's not going to have a tr- any trouble playing alongside Hironik. The only question with Hironik would be the only the only way it wouldn't work actually would be that he can't adjust to perhaps having to be the guy who has to take a step back at, right. time, at times because he likes carrying the puck. Mm-hmm. He is a puck carrying defenseman. He's a puck rushing defenseman oftentimes, right? Quinn's also a bit of a puck rusher and a puck mover. Can he adapt his game enough that he feels he can be consistent playing there? I think that that's my only question because that's the other thing and we didn't get to about Hironik's game. He, he's a good puck mover, but he's better with the puck on his stick than he is moving the puck. Mm. So he's more of a carry it out of the defensive zone yes. than make that pass out of the defensive Which zone. Which is fine. I mean, you know, but it's just one of those things. That's That would be the only question I'd have is, do those guys like to handle the puck mm-hmm. to the same amount almost? And you're taking that away from Heronik's game to some degree. Now that brings us to how this all looks big picture into next year. So you have Quinn Hughes and Philip Heronik. After yesterday's comments from Rick Tockett, it sounds like, and what we've talked about, even Earth mentioned it to us a while back, that the Oliver ekman Larson buyout just seems, uh, it seems low probability. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big ticket for an owner to swallow. Yeah. And then even as much as we can sit here and say, hey, there are tangible benefits of doing so, it's still an eight-year cap commitment. Yeah. Now you're, and it's smaller. It's not all seven million or four million. It's only a couple of years of four million. And you you only get a hundred thousand on the cap. It's like there are benefits, obviously, yes. but it's still something on your books for eight years. Even even management may look at that and say, we'd rather try to figure this out for a couple of years instead of having you know an eight year ticket on the books. So you know, you can pencil in Oliver Ekman Larson to the lineup next year. Tyler Myers still under contract. You have some depth defensemen there. Now also under contract, Guillaume Brisebois, Christian Willanen, um, you know, Ethan Bear is a restricted free agent at the end of the year. I assume Noah Juleson might be sticking around if they continue to, um, you know, reward some of the depth players that have seen have done well here over the last couple of weeks. But what else does this decor need? There's still at least one player that they need to add. Now, everything comes with a caveat of, how do you do that when they don't have any salary cap money and there's nothing left on the cap to go out and acquire any kind of a top four-ish defenseman? I know that. But we have to live in a world where they're going to be able to open up cap space, whether Mm -hmm. it be by trading Myers, trading uh, one of the, the more expensive forwards. They're going to open up cap space. 
I, and I think there's a sense that they believe they can do it. Yeah. Quite clearly. You know, as Patrick Alvin told us right after the, the deadline, mm-hmm. he doesn't seem too worried about being able to open up cap space. But how do they, like, even if o, you can get OEL back to playing, let's say as a four or five-ish defenseman, you still need a top four guy. And somebody who is profiles as a penalty kill specialist as well. Yeah. So where are you, where are you finding this guy? Free agency. <laughs> I mean, hey, we've been joking about Gavrikov yes. for like weeks, right? And I know Rick's been mentioning that he could very well be on Vancouver's radar. He mentions the the, the three Milstein clients and everything. And, and that's kind of... Because if you look at it from just availability and profile... Gavrikov fits. Now, you can say he's not good good enough in that in those areas. You can see you can question some of his defensive proficiency, you can def- you can question some of his penalty killing proficiency and everything like for sure. But profile-wise, he's a big defensive defenseman who moves the puck fairly well, adds a little bit of offense as mm-hmm. well. He's not this big imposing defenseman, but he he can play physically, he can handle himself fairly well too. And as Rick Tockett was saying after the other night against Vegas, he likes some some big uh, big physical defensemen who can skate fairly well and move the puck. Exactly. So profile wise, he fits. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the easiest way for you to solve that defensive D issue is just signing a free agent. The only thing you need to do is what you mentioned: clear some of that money, which whatever that looks like, right? Is it Myers? Is it you know one of the forwards? Whatever it is, right? You do a couple of those things. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, that gives you that frees enough money for you to go and sign a defenseman for whatever. How, how much is he going to make? Four, four million, five million? Between four and five, probably. So, somewhere in between there, right? And then you're looking to add a third line center somehow. Yeah. And what's your budget for that? Now, I've pitched the idea of just kind of trying to patch it over for a year or two and sign, you know, a veteran for a couple of years, one or two year deal. and, and try to, Zeller type? Yeah. Or like, you know, uh, David Comp's been pretty good yeah. this year. Noel Achari type, even though he's had some struggles. But there are plenty of those types of defensemen. I mean, uh, centers who are good on the PK, good on the draw, and, and have some tangible benefits I can patch over for you and see if Ratu can become that in a couple of years, see if Olman takes a step next year, or see if you can get something else along the lines. But I wonder priority-wise, does does the organization view the third-line center as more of a priority? Because that's something that Friedman mentioned to you guys on Tuesday. Yeah. It's, uh, I think there's two major holes, right? It's that third-line center spot and another top-four defenseman. Yeah, and, and really, pr- the profile of the center is somebody who can kill penalties and be good defensively. Yeah. Sure, you'd love to have a guy who's also good offensively and does a bit of everything for you. Who wouldn't? Like, you're hoping, like, double-digit goals, but I don't think you're expecting to find a 50-point center to play third-line minutes. No, I mean, we were joking. I was joking uh, with you and Eddie Fast Eddie Gregory producing his show today. Uh, they could use Brandon Sutter from like six years ago. You know, now I'm not saying pay him four million. I'm not saying go and give up a second round pick and everything. But I, I mean, that's the type of profile that you like—a big guy who skates fairly well, good defensively, good on the PK, good in the faceoff circle, has a decent shot, will give you you know ten, fifteen goals. If you have a guy like that on your third line, yeah, yo, hey, that works, right? Can you get something like that long term? Getting that type of profile of player is not going to be cheap. No. Those guys cost like $3 million in free agency usually. Or you're trading for a guy, he's going to make a few million on it. The best bet is try to develop a guy like that long term. Can trade for a young guy. Can develop a young center. That's why Ratu is so intriguing. That's why Oman can he continue developing. Those, has, those, those guys have to be your answers. 
I just, but I wonder organizationally, can, do they feel like they can maybe move one of their forwards for for a guy who's more of a bottom six center? There's got to be. That's I would imagine that's maybe part of the options because maybe if you are unable to clear the entire cap hit of a let's just use Brock Besser for an mm-hmm. example, are able to find a center in the three to four million dollar range who profiles more as a third line guy fills a need for you to fill that role maybe you save a couple million on the cap fills a role for you those may be the types of options they explore so it's um i think that's sort of the biggest question marks now after you bring in heronic and start to look at how all that's going to work you know we know hughes heronic oel are pretty much penciled in to the decor for next year and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they start next year with Hughes, Bear, Ekman, Larson, and Heronic as their top four defensemen. Man, so if you if okay, let's say that you have Heronic, yeah, and you move Myers, mm-hmm. then there's room for you to bring Bear back. Yeah, but is Bear going to be a fit here? It's a short term fit, as you've said for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a long-term fit? Does he come back for one more year? It's has one of the, he, he's has like, he upped his value? I, I just wonder, right? Because I mean, I think he's a player like at, at at the number he's currently at in the situation where it's always hard to find right shot defensemen. It's you know, you you bring him back, but you're always still looking for better options, mm-hmm. right? That's the kind of player Ethan Bear ultimately is. Um, you need somebody on the right side if you're, tr- especially if you're moving Myers. Who's taking a lot of the the big time right shot minutes on the PK aside from yeah, Moronic? But, but Bear's not good on the PK. Yeah, you know, like he's number one. He's not he's good. Worse on the PK. than Myers on, yes. on the PK. So he's not good on the PK. Is that something in his game that can grow? I guess right. Maybe you you believe he can do that, and that's part of it. But Heronic can play in your PK. He's good on the PK. So if the only way it would it would work with Bear is if he takes a step and is a productive five on five producer. Mm-hmm. But does that does he make sense on a pair with Gavrikov? Let, let's say you bring a, a defensive D, Gavrikov type, whatever, right? Let, let's say yeah. uh, he's a number three defenseman who's a defensive D on the left side. Is Bear the guy you play with him? Potentially. I mean, Gavrikov and Matt Roy has worked really well for the LA Kings. Uh, is you know Bear similar to a Matt Roy type? I guess you could say that. OEL has OEL and Bear like OEL's best minutes this year have been with Ethan Bear at I mean, five me, on five. To me, that's fine, but then that's ten million in your third pair. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It lacks like, efficiency. Yeah, and and that's what I wonder about. Like, if you think Bear can play in your top four, I'm fine with you giving him a contract over two million, and you take the you know you take the gamble on him and see what happens. But I just wonder, profile wise, does he fit, and also salary wise? What I mean, because the team has tried to sign him, obviously it hasn't yeah. gotten done yet. What is what are is his he one of those guys? Like, if you don't qualify him. Does he end up maybe end up getting only two million in free agency anyway? I think that's probably the play. I bet you, if, if I'm Van, that's how I'm negotiating with him. I'm saying you're not getting your QO. If yeah. we go to ARB, we're not taking ARB. So you're not getting your QO. You're not getting your ARB. And if you think somebody in free agency gives you that, sure. But we don't think that. So yeah. let's just meet here at, at this number, whatever it is, right? And I would guess that number is probably around two. Yeah. Even that, like I don't. We've seen guys that get paid two, three million in Vancouver playing your third pair, and then you see a guy like Willanda come up, and you're like. Well, just pay that guy seven hundred k to do the same thing. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. and and that's what I wonder about. And but if you think Bear can play in your top four, like actually thinking you playing your top four, then I'm fine with you paying him two million because it's like you're taking a bigger bet on it. 
But undoubtedly, he's a guy who's upped his value since, since being acquired by Vancouver. He, he's an asset to you now. Yeah, he's he's played fairly well. Um, and I think there's still more that he can give. But the lapses at times, there's some big mistakes, as we saw Tuesday. They are, right? And then if you look, you know, I know people are texting in, too. That, you know, uh, somebody texted in. Uh, uh, Kenan Campbell t- saying, talking about maybe Mike Cossum Hoaglander to acquire Roslovic Nick Roy type, mm-hmm. for instance. Uh, you know, others are asking about Jack Rathbone texting in as well. And Rathbone, he- here's the thing with Rathbone. Like, if OEL is going to be here next We're going to have Jerry Co- Jeremy Carlton actually coming up in a couple minutes. Yeah, and we'll be chatting with him about it. But I just wonder, like, Rathbone next season, Hoaglander next season, like, where do they fit in? Yeah. And, you know, what, what? I mean, this organization has built out a depth. We haven't got to Willanian yet, him signing his contract. But they, they're building out their depth. They have a lot of different options. They have a glut of forwards here. They have some guys who have value. Like, where does Rathbone fit when you have OEL and Hughes as your, you know, skilled, mm-hmm. more offensive defenseman on the left side? If you need a PKer on the left side, where does where is the pathway to success here? Yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> I hear those things. It's tough. The pathway to success for a lot of these guys – especially a Jack Rathbone, it's questionable right now. Uh, let's bring in uh, Jeremy Colleton to the conversation. That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, it is Canuck Central. We are in the Kintech studio, and we welcome in our next guest, uh, the head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks. It is uh, Jeremy Colleton joining us here on uh, Canuck Central. Thanks for this, Jeremy. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for making a little bit of time uh, for us. It's uh, it's been quite the season for you guys uh, over there. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun. I mean, we got a good group, really fun group to work with, and uh, I think you play all year. You, you grind in the summer. I don't grind in the summer. The players do with their training, and then uh, we grind, you know, training camp and, and through the season to be, you know, you want to be in the playoff position. You want to have a chance to play big games. That's the payoff. And uh, so we're we're enjoying it. Well, and one of the things that we're seeing as the season goes on is a number of players with the Canucks, uh, with a big club here in Vancouver, that have been spending quite a bit of time in Abbotsford, and some of those guys have been getting contracts. What is it like seeing, you know, Guillaume Brisebois, Phil DiGiuseppe, and and Christian Willan, and guys who've been working so hard for you down in Abbotsford, who now have gotten their chance, and not only making the most of it, but also earn new contracts. Yeah. It's- you with a lot of pride, you know, as a staff, uh, you build relationships with these guys uh, through the year, and uh, they they play hard for you, and and you know leadership and just doing things the right way. So you're really proud of, of how they've come up and done a good job and earned earned contracts, and I mean that's what it's all about as a coach. You want to see they they want to play in the NHL, they want to establish themselves, so. For them to get that chance and do well, that's kind of as good as it gets uh, at this level for a coach. You get these uh, veterans that have gotten contracts now, and um, I- I'm kind of curious, actually, as to-, to what your mindset was coming into this gig last summer and-, and what you hoped and have been able to build out to this point. Obviously, we, we want to build a culture, and uh, ultimately, we're here to win. And, and obviously, we're at the highest level. But how we do that is we teach guys how to play, to play a certain way so they can contribute to winning at that level. And uh, I think it's convincing the players that uh, that's the way to go about it. And if, if they can show they can contribute to winning and help us win here, then they're going to be players that uh, 
you know, Vancouver teams can help them win at that level. And then maybe instead of just a, a cup of coffee, you get a chance to stay and contribute and, and be an NHL player and, and hopefully win there. Uh, I mean, there's nothing better than that. So it's, uh, you know, trying to meet each guy where they are. Everyone's different as far as what they need, where they're at in their career, uh, the, maybe the work that they have to do to get to that level and uh, trying to uh, you got to build a relationship so that hopefully they trust you and that you're out for their best interest. And uh, But I think our group has been extremely welcoming and open to the message we've been delivering, and I mean, you can see it. I mean, in, in obviously the team's off, but also the guys that have been able to go up and, and play and contribute and, and uh, show that maybe they can be part of it. One, you know, we, we were mentioning some of the more veteran guys who are having a lot of success and some of the stories that we've been hearing, too, about the younger players uh, have also been full of, you know, success stories this season. I mean, you know, we're seeing Podkolzin come back and play well since being sent back down. I mean, we've heard the progress of Niels Hoaglander and Jack Rathbone down there. What has it been like working with those players who are kind of on the cusp of, you know, as young guys who want to, you know, knock that door down and get to the National Hockey League level? What has been, what's, what's, what's it been like working with those guys? You know, that's really fun. Uh, I think young guys, they uh, the improvement they can show in even a couple months, I can really, I mean, it's, it's so fun uh, to, to see it. And obviously that helps your team. It helps our team and hopefully it helps their, you know, in Vancouver. And so that's it's really motivating because you feel like you can, you can see results quickly, and especially the, you know, the, the more talented guys, like if they can learn to play on both sides of the puck and, and how to manage the game and sort of efficient, but they can make a difference for you at the next level. So those are guys you love working with. And it's not really, I guess part of the, part of the, the job is to get them to understand it's not really about the numbers. Like everyone wants to produce. And, and sometimes that if you're producing, I mean, ultimately it's that he scores more goals, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's if you're doing the right thing, if you're playing the right way, you're contributing to winning, you're helping the guys around the ice with, the more guys who are willing to do that, then the, the individual success happens because you're winning as a team. So getting them to understand that, and uh, when they do, then you really see them take a leap in their performance. The the details of the game as as we often as we often say and you know a player like Nils Hoglander he he came over and, and jumps right into an NHL roster and and you see there's some some definite NHL traits and NHL abilities to his game but you know maybe there's some gaps there and and now he's been with you in, in Abbotsford for a while how how have you uh, how have you seen Nils' games grow to this point Yeah he's, he's definitely been trending in the right direction uh, since the last home stretch there, the last home stand, he was really good. That's how he was good as a team play. Just uh, his compete level. Like, he, he's really good at winning 50-50. He's really strong on the puck. Um, that's probably his best asset and the one that transfers the best to the next level. Um, but it's doing it all the time and, and staying switched on away from the puck all the time. And I think that's that's the challenge. That's the last kind of hurdle that he's got to get over to be a guy you can count on at the next level. Um, he's getting there and he's doing it more and more often. 
I, I think uh, this little stretch here, you know, we're playing big games all the way through, and then obviously in the playoffs, it's a great opportunity for him to show that he can he can do it and do it all the time because, I mean, obviously the higher a level you're at, playoff time, NHL level, playoff time there, you can't switch off for five, ten seconds because mm-hmm. it's uh, back in the side of series. So uh, that's, that's where we're getting to, really happy with his uh, engagement. It's just uh, he's still a young guy, so finding that consistency shift to shift, that's, that's where he's at. Well, you know, I always find these discussions really fascinating because it's easy to look at a guy's, you know, production, his offensive skill and and some of the metrics and so on and see a very favorable picture. And then you see a guy who's gone through a few different coaches and a lot of great things about Niels. But the things you mentioned away from the puck, the being switched on, the the kind of non-negotiables almost that almost every single coach has. So is that lesson sometimes for kids that it's like, hey, you're a really good player and the numbers may look good for you, but unless you do these things there isn't a coach in the national hockey league who's going to trust you unless your production is just so overwhelming no doubt and uh i mean there's plenty of guys who have huge numbers of the Matthews double and they never play at the nhl level or they you know they never play more than a few games a year because it's it's hard like it's it's not uh and especially to play on a playoff team a, a you know stanley cup somebody's in the stanley cup conversation like it's not easy to play that way, and it's it's even harder to do it for you know a month. Like a lot of guys can come up and do the job for four or five games, but if they don't have those habits, that base, they will drop off eventually. And uh, what we're trying to do here is like it's, again, it's not about the production; it's about building the habit so that you know they're going to have a good ten days when they get called up, but then they do it for three months and. Once they can, then they probably never leave, and, and hopefully they can be, be part of the answer to being a top team down the road. I know uh, one player I keep hearing a ton about is Arshdeep Baines and uh, how, how strong he's come along for you. Uh, what, what, where is he? Where's his game come from at the start of the year and to where it is now? Yeah, no question. I mean, he's uh, he started the year in Penticton being uh, a good player to you know, and then beginning of the year for us, he was kind of in and out trying to find that soul level of detail and just hard on the puck and being advancing at every time, you know, just little things that, um, you know, at the junior level, you're such a big score. Like sometimes you can get away with, um, you know, not being down in every shift and just find a way to produce anyway. I think he's done a great job with, you know, advancing the puck, being strong on the puck, um, being sharp defensively. Now, he's a guy that we trust in all situations. He's, you know, first or second out on the PK. He's, he's uh, you know, helping run the first power play unit and probably on the ice, whether we're chasing or, or defending in the last minute. So, uh, it's been a really good year for him. And uh, there's more there. You know, I think a good summer of training will really help him. But, playing in these games here and, and understanding what it takes to win at our level and, and hopefully a long playoff and try to hopefully set them up to have a great camp and see where it's at. 
Well, one player that uh, is a bit of a new acquisition for you has played now 16 games is Atu Ratu. And, you know, what have you seen in his game so far? And obviously we see his skating, but you guys have one of the best skating coaches uh, with you guys in McKenzie Braid. What do you make of his game and, and how much can you improve when you have a guy like McKenzie Braid in your organization that can work with guys? Yeah, for sure. And uh, we've had Raider in a couple times here recently, and he's got you know it's, it's tough in season. Like, it's not gonna, you're not gonna have a huge change in the season, but you know, hopefully setting the, the table uh, to really get better during the off season. Uh, you know that that's huge for him. Obviously, skating is an area where we hope he can take a step. But uh, I think since since he came back, like when he first got here, thought it was hard adjusting for him. Uh, just new team and new way of playing, maybe, and and just maybe some pressure too to to produce based on who he's traded for or, or whatever. But I think since he's come down, um, he's really started to find some consistency and and trying to do the little things shift to shift. And he's also a very young player, so again, it's hard. We're asking a lot from him, but. Uh, I think he's going there direction, and it's again. Uh, yeah, we're, we're we don't have everyone right now, right? We got some guys in Vancouver, so we're asking a lot of some guys, and sometimes it's going to work, and sometimes it's not. But the experience and just being cooked, you know, so sharp with the details, and and especially when you know you're playing a bigger role, uh, it's only going to help. Them. You know, uh, Jack Rathbone is somebody we, we penciled into the NHL lineup uh, years ago, maybe, and uh, just hasn't gone that way, whether it be through injuries and, and, and otherwise. Uh, it's still been a, a difficult go for him on the injury front still, um, but how has his game come along here for you? Yeah, well, right now, again, it's, you know, penalty kill, power play, uh, defending lead, trying to come back. He's on the ice. And so it's a great opportunity for him to, to show he can be a guy that we can count on uh, when the game's on the line. And uh, I think he's, he's done a good job. He's been solid for us. Uh, we've had we've been able to scratch out points here and stay kind of tread water, stay in the same spot, and we're asking a lot out of him. Uh, I think that the for him, it's just still you know finding a way to be solid, be solid, hit singles, hit singles. And then, you know, maybe two or three times a game, he'll have his chance to make that special play that he can do. Uh, you know, being consistent defending and moving the puck clean, advancing it cleanly, that's that's what we're asking him to do. And I think he's taking strides there. And the thing is, that's what he's going to have to do at the next level. Mm-hmm. You know, he, as a defenseman, it's okay to be invisible for most of the game. And then you have your chance. Well, you don't, I think, you know, Quinn Hughes, obviously, he can do his thing, but you don't need six of them. So, that's, uh, I think he's taking strides there, and you've got to keep going. Well, and, it, and it's clear that when we hear management talk about what's happening in Abbotsford and, you know, the vision they have in place, that there seems to be alignment in terms of style of play, you know, the non-negotiables and how the teams get coached, both both in Abbotsford and now with Rick talking in Vancouver. How much communication have you had and do you have with management about that, you know, alignment and being on the same page throughout the organization? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I talked to RJ every day, almost, um, about the team and the other things we're at. That's 
important. And then, you know, obviously, periodically, Patrick and, and Fox. Um, and that's it. The more you um, take players, it, it just makes it easy for everyone. Just knowing, knowing where, where guys are at. And obviously, I'm here every day with these guys along with the rest of the staff. We have, you know, Sadines are back and forth, so that's, that's a good good way to stay in touch as well. Um, you know, we're, again, we're trying to build winners. We're trying to build a culture where guys are, are able to do what it takes to help us win. And, Jeremy, uh, I think we're all on the same page there. Uh, Jeremy, we, uh, we really appreciate the time. Uh, thanks for this today, and uh, all the best moving forward. Uh, hopefully we'll see you close to playoff time. You bet. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one. Uh, there is Jeremy Colleton, uh, AHL coach with the Abbotsford Canucks and uh, doing a hell of a job. Um, if there is one thing that has earned and deserved a ton of praise this year, it is what we've seen go on with this Abbotsford Canucks team, the development hand they've played in bringing some players up, you know, taking some players down at one point, yes. right? And then... Know, building their confidence back up, getting them to do some of the things that this organization expects them to be doing on the ice. It's um, it's what Jim Rutherford talked about from day one, and it's one thing they seem to be delivering on to this point. Yeah, they are, right? And, and I think it's very instructive looking at individual cases to kind of just kind of look at what they mean and, and how it all kind of comes together. And I think Niels Hoaglander is the most fascinating one for a number of different reasons, but also for the simple truth of how many coaches has he had now? It's Travis, Bruce, yeah. and Colleton. Yeah. He hasn't played for Talkit yet, so we no. can't mention that, right? But that's three separate coaches, all three with varying degrees of NHL experience, yeah. right? One who has a lot of experience. And all kind of had a similar thing in the end, right? Like Travis, too, towards you kind of saw the second year and how he used them and, and his ice time going down and what what he wanted to see out of him. And Bruce, the same way. And what Bruce said, I think, has been the most salient thing is if you're not scoring a ton, yeah, you can't not do the things you're not doing, yeah, right? You better score. Mm-hmm. And if you're not scoring enough, you got to do that. And it doesn't matter who your coach is, right? And, and I think that's a lesson for a lot of these guys is, hey, you may be able to get out there and score 15 goals. Maybe you can get 40 points. Sure, right? Like, of course. But are you still helping the team? And can can coaches trust you in certain areas? And that's true around, like, Carlton's a young guy in his 30s. Mm-hmm. You know, more progressive thinker. He's And he's not saying you don't trust Hoaglander, but he's saying here are the things you got to do. For you to be able to play consistently in the NHL and for you to be able to graduate from this level, and he's still working on getting there. And if he doesn't do it, it doesn't matter who his coach is in the NHL. He's not going to get a chance to play a ton. It's so hard with Hoaglander as a specific case because he shows up, plays that whole first season, plays pretty well, right? Takes a big role, has nothing but praise. I think he was second in five-on-five scoring on the team that year. Yeah. The bubble year in the North Division. And then... Next year comes, and scoring isn't coming as easily. The gaps are showing more and more in his game. And you realize that missed step of development is really affecting his play away from the puck. Yeah. And they've got to build that back up. Exactly. And, and it doesn't matter whether it's in Vancouver or elsewhere. Yeah. You know, unless, he get, unless his production increases at the NHL level, he's going to have to do those things. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a lesson for him whether it's in Vancouver or elsewhere, that's because there's, there's a lot of talent there. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if he'll ever gonna be, ever, he's ever going to be that high-end skill guy. It was interesting what uh, Colleton said about his best trade is. 
as an even an NHL player, his ability to win 50-50s. Mm-hmm. Nothing about his stick handling or those types of things that he can do. He has tenacity. Yeah. And he's got low center of gravity. He's very strong, mm-hmm. right? He, he has feistiness in his game. We saw in the first year, he was a pass. He was running guys, yeah. running over guys, running into guys. People, getting, guys getting Derek Forbert angry. All the you time. Know? You know, he, was a, he was a pain in the ass to play against. And they need to see that more often from uh, from Nils Hoglander. But I've said it a couple of times now, and I still believe it. Uh, it's the best thing that's happened to him for his development, spending this time in the AHL. Abbotsford up to uh, 76 points. Uh, they are tied for third in the Pacific Division in the AHL. And some real positive stories. Uh, Arshdeep Baines. You know, it's tough to say. Uh, the Canucks don't have any call-ups remaining. Yeah. So uh, there would have to be an injury in order for players to get a look and it could happen i mean mm-hmm. i wouldn't be surprised if uh he's next man up right right him or somebody else here is, is next man because raw two got his cup of coffee hey we'd like give you a pat on the back we believe in you welcome to the organization yeah yeah he, he got his right yep baines is different because this would be he's earned it yes you can mention linus carlson we didn't, we didn't get a chance to talk about him of course but i think he's more of a longer term project that you're not really you know and and we might see him, too, if something happens, mm-hmm. right? But they kind of need his offense right now up front with, you know, PDG being out. And, you know, I mean, even Sheldon, let's not forget, Sheldon Drys was supposed to be one of their top centers. Yes, in Abbotsford. Yeah, and they lost Lane Peterson, too, who got claimed on waivers. Yes. So, I mean, they, they've had some, you know, they've, they've missed a couple of high-end producers up front recently. Uh, Linus Carlson, 20 goals in 63 games for Abbotsford has been a good story. He and Arshdeep Baines have both been real good stories in terms of the way that they've played. But uh, Arshdeep Baines, wonder if we see him in an NHL game before the end of the season. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. It's Thursday. That means Cheech is coming up next on Canuck Central.